Join Sarah Weiss in the infinite field of energetic aliveness and heart-centered wisdom. This is the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. Welcome to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to Christine Gutierrez. Welcome, Christine. Thank you for having me. Christine, I like to start these podcasts off with an invocation to activate the energy, to help the transmission for transformation, to go out into the world. So would you honor us with an invocation? Yes, it would be my honor. So wherever you are, if you're in a space that you can do so, just take a moment to ground, keep your feet planted firmly, connecting to Mother Earth. Place your left hand on your heart and your right hand over it. And gently close your eyes. We call ourselves back from all time and all places. We call ourselves back from all time and all places. We call ourselves back from all time and all places. We are here now. We call ourselves back home today. For however far away we have strayed, we call ourselves back home today back home, home, into our internal home, soul home, soul home. Mm-hmm. Take a final deep breath in. And exhaling it all out. Beautiful. Mm. I can hear the rain uh, pouring mm-hmm. behind you. That's the sound of Puerto Rican rain. <laughs> Yes. So this is part of a series I call Living Into Our Wisdom. And I like to to call it that because each one of us has to take that journey. Each one of us has to put one foot into ahead of the next to really live into who we are. And you are such a shining example of someone who has taken many steps to live into your wisdom, Christine. Mm. And so what I'd like to do is maybe you could start us out with a little background and uh, how your journey began and, and we'll take it from there. Uh, Christine has a, a lot of beautiful wisdom to share with us today, but most of all, she can convey the authenticity of, of, of walking in beauty and honesty. So, Christine, mm-hmm. if you could share a, a little background with us. Yeah. So, I like to say that before I knew the words to being a therapist or being a healer, that my soul guided me to this work. And from the very first memories I have of me are being this little girl uh, with big glasses and walking down the streets in Bushwick and Brooklyn and feeling this immense amount of love in my heart and also heartbreak for the world. I remember seeing homeless people on my streets in Brooklyn and begging my mom to go speak to um, the people that were living on the streets and ask them their story and what happened to them and where was their mom and if they were okay. And it was like this little baby therapist. (laughs) And I wanted them to know that they were seen. And I remember very specifically purposefully making eye contact and smiling. And 
I remember doing that because I knew that people ignored them and I knew that they might feel alone or scared or like they didn't matter. And so I think that that was always in me, this feeling of wanting to make people feel seen, validated, worthy, no matter who they were or where they were in their life and to let them know that they were divine, that no life circumstance, no smell emanating from their body, no poverty, no nothing could take away their divine worthiness. And ever since then, that's been that kind of driving force behind all the work that I do today. Did you have a, a particular moment as you grew up through your teen years and young adulthood where you said, I must take this path? Mm. I think in my teenage years, I was already like mentoring and doing some ah. kind of help, helping things, right? Uh -huh. uh, so there were divine winks there for sure. And then that solidified when I went to college for my undergrad, where I studied psychology as my major and philosophy as my minor. And I then knew that I wanted to be a therapist at that point and that I would but I also knew that I wanted to keep that, that kind of poetic and spiritual part of me because I had always wrote, written poems and was always very deeply connected to the spirit realm. And so there was a part of me that knew that I wouldn't be a traditional therapist, that I would somehow incorporate this artistic, soulful kind of part of me. You know, that would be very interesting to our listeners here because many of the people who listen to this podcast are yearning to move into their true work and bring mm -hmm. their spiritual nature into what they do. So is, is there something you could say about that, about how you grew into integrating your spirituality into your therapeutic work? Yeah, and I think for anyone that is feeling that call and that wants to step into their dharma, their purpose, their soul work in this world, uh, the, the thing about that is that some of us, right, we have, we have areas that are easier and we have other areas that are more difficult. Some of us very early on know exactly what we want to do, who we want to be, what we want to do when we grow up, right? And for some of us, we don't. And sometimes that changes throughout the process. So it's very unique for each individual. And that's part of where that individual soul medicine comes through, because we each have a very special, unique path that though by physical form may look the same in certain instances, it's never the same because your path is uniquely you. And so looking at the things that light you up and also looking at the things that get you really upset about the world. And these are two very powerful ways to tap into what you're meant to do or what you're meant to speak on, what you're meant to heal, what you're meant to advocate for. And one of my, uh, mentors and people that I look up to is Dr. Clarissa Pinkolestis, who wrote The Women Who Run With Wolves. And I got to study with her in person. And she had this process that I don't want to botch, but she mentioned how it's, you write down a list of things that are uh, the, the darkness, the demons, and then there's an angelized version of that list. And essentially what that was, was all the demonized things were all the darkness of the world that you can't stand, all the things that you want to change, all the things that make your blood boil. And on the other side is the angelized version, is what you would ideally like to see. 
how would you want to see that change come about? And that ultimately that that might give you winks or hints or some sort of clues that can orient you towards your soul's purpose. Because it's really those things that infuriate us, but also that light us up. Because, for example, I am deeply against uh, child abuse or human suffering, right? As I said from my earlier years, I saw this as it, it, it touched me deeply and I wanted to be part of changing it. So what's on the other side of that is helping people to cope healthier so that they don't replicate these toxic patterns. And so there comes my soul work. There comes my, my dharma, my purpose. Did you have any kind of struggle deciding to go all the way into this, like leaving any kind of expectations by other people and society behind and really following your passion for this? I didn't. Um, I never had moments in my career where I was confused or where I felt like I had to leave. I was very clear in this one area other areas <laughs> not so much <laughs> this was like the only one that spirit was like girl it's gonna be so hard and the other was we're gonna give this to this we're gonna give this one to you easy <laughs> i was like thank god i got one i got one easy path it was like no no doubt no fears like no like truly clear and and i knew that like i was meant to do this that this wasn't about me this wasn't about like the small i that this was about what the divine wanted to use me for and to work through me and to just serve and i was able to identify that and able to put aside any like any kind of mild feeling it never even got to like boil too much to the surface because that faith was so clear in that area um I wish that that would have been the case for all the other areas too. <laughs> well, let, let's slip into a little bit of that. In, in your new book, you mentioned that you're a bit of an empath, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can speak to how that led you down a certain path. Yeah, I think that I always felt too much. And sometimes being a healer, it's a gift and a curse. Uh, and Better said, it, it holds great responsibility and you do get tested. And for me, I knew that I wanted to help, but unfortunately I was often helping in places that weren't my duty to help in. And what I mean by that is I would be in these relationships that were really toxic or abusive that were replicating my childhood pattern of abuse. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, you know, I knew that there was something off. I knew that something was wrong, but if anyone has been through any kind of a traumatic experience like that, you know, that your, your brain, right. Your, your patterns are deeply ingrained in there. And there's a lot of trauma responses that happen. And so I would end up in these situations that were like this dead end road with the same person and the same, you know, guy that wasn't treating me right. And me feeling deeply, deeply scared to be alone. I mean, that was like the pervasive feeling, like deep ache, like in every part of me, I was terrified and I felt so much and it was almost like my healing was going the wrong way, right? Like I needed to orient that healing towards myself so that I could 
help myself and heal myself. And I was just like consistently giving it to the people that weren't ready to heal, weren't willing to heal and ultimately was hurting myself in the process. And that's never going to be a sustainable road to, to a healthy relationship or healthy relationship with yourself even. And so it was through that, that those were like my big wake up calls that happened time and time again, where I was like, this, this has to change. And I need to find new ways to cope, find new ways to deal with the feelings that I'm feeling and find ways to focus the healing on myself. That is the challenge of someone who's highly sensitive, who's empathic, and who has the mandate to heal within their being and taking the path to figure out how that healing is supposed to occur if you can't control it and make an outcome happen that you want to have happen. You know, that seems to be the paradox of the healer. You have Mm -hmm. to heal. It's just in your bones and your being. And Mm -hmm. how do you raise your awareness to a frequency where you help empower others to heal through your presence? That's right. And learning to have boundaries and learning to see where someone's not willing to heal or where it's coming too much at the cost of yourself, right? And learning to smell, you know, like this primal being, learning to smell when there is no life force there left for you, where there's nothing left to learn but to walk away. And, you know, I had to to learn that through the fires and being able to go through those experiences, I really got to see, you know, I have compassion for that person because she went through a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And um, she had experiences that went beyond her control as a child. And and so it's like the little me, right? Little Christine. And, and being really patient and loving. And obviously I wasn't always that way with myself, but I learned to be. And really seeing through her eyes why that would make sense for her at that time and understanding those choices and understanding that that too was part of the journey to coming back home to myself. So well spoken. Just even as you were speaking that and I was following your words and putting myself back into my little Sarah and Mm -hmm. seeing how, oh, how could I have known anything other than I did at that time? I couldn't have. That's right. And Mm -hmm. it, creates a, a huge well of compassion, understanding, and release from holding on to that story. Yes, exactly. Like, how could you have known, right? And that's so important for people to know. Like, it's okay. And as we learn new tools, as we learn new ways, and as we are around energies or frequencies and people that can actually give you a taste of what that good feeling support feels like, you begin to slowly make changes. So can you tell us a little bit about how you approach working with people? What in in your book, uh, which I mentioned at the beginning, uh, before we, we got on here, which is launching, when is it launching? It is officially out already, ah. so you can get I Am Yosa now. <laughs> and why don't you tell people what 
I am Diosa. Dio, the word Diosa is such a beautiful word, but many people don't know what it means. Yes, Diosa is the Spanish word for goddess. And goddess is uh, the divine feminine, really. And so for me, using the word Diosa was an important decision in my own journey and my own reclaiming of my cultural confidence because my background is I'm a New Yorican, born and raised in Brooklyn and then in Queens. And now I'm living in Puerto Rico. And so my background is from Puerto Rico. And it was really this process of saying, I am divine. I am Diosa. That's not a small statement. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really revealed in the power of your book. You really communicate that through the words and energy in your book. It's hard to convey that. I mean, someone can't just say, I am the goddess and say that blithely, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it It takes an enormous amount of realization to come to that place. So how have you worked with the mother, with the heart of the mother, Mother Earth, in your practice and in your growth? Yes, yeah, so I, I am clinically trained as a therapist, and I fuse modern therapy with different spiritual practices. And so for me, really taking this kind of grounded, earth-based approach to healing is also very deeply connected again to my, my, my grandmother, my mother, my, my lineage of healers, medicine women, intuitives, and my family. And also just like that spiritual knowing, right? Like some of these things, I didn't even know where it came from. It was just in me. <laughs> I didn't study some of these things. They just were in me. And other things, you know, like obviously becoming a, a licensed therapist and going to school, I learned certain practices. And I really found that this kind of meeting of these two worlds was the way that I would approach therapy. And the word therapy actually means the study of the soul. And so for me, it is about looking at those parts of ourselves that have left because maybe someone said something to you when you were younger or a traumatizing event happened. And that piece of you, that spark of you left your body. Right. Mm -hmm. And my role then becomes to stand temporarily as this kind of guide between these two worlds of the mundane world and the spiritual world and to help collect those pieces and help bring them back and slowly taking you on this journey of looking at the timeline of your life and looking at those places where thorns were planted and looking at those places where those emotional wounds still bleed and giving yourself the time and the space and the love and the reverence to look at yourself and to have the, the, the compassion of someone holding you as you do this journeying and as you look at your life. And that's really the way that I approach healing, the way I approach therapy. And it's a really collaborative process. I often say that I teach at a sisterhood level, meaning that I come in from an understanding that I am sharing some sort of expertise and some sort of like, you know, gift, but also that we are, we're in this journey together. You know, we're no different. We're on the same page. I got your back. You got mine. I'm holding your hand. I'm holding your heart. And I trust you and I trust the person's divine wisdom. I allow them to reconnect to that space, but it's there and they do the work and they show up and they have the medicine. And so it's really this uh, 
reconnecting them to that, that source, that mother, the divine, the great she, la diosa. And in that process, there is a remembering. And then it becomes like maybe some part of themselves knows intuitively, I am diosa, I am divine. There's something in them that remembers that. Mm -hmm. And that's the piece of it where it's like our conscious mind might fight it and we might be like, wait a minute, I don't really feel worthy or I feel insecure. I feel, but in that process, there's a slight remembering. There's a little flicker in there that says, yes, yes, their soul is there. Yes, yes, I am divine. Yes, I am Diosa. You know, as you speak about that and, and you so embody that, it reminds me of so many of women of the women in our society that don't have that sisterhood or are not able to trust other women, mm-hmm. let alone other human beings. That is that is a great sorrow. That is a it's that we're bereft of that type of community of sisterhood. And as I as I look at you from kind of the third eye altered point of view, I see a circle of women with you. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're being supported on many levels with this. Have you had experiences with your grandmothers, your aunts, your lineage uh, that helped bring this through that were mystical experiences? Yes. And first I want to speak to one thing that you said about that sorrow, right? That great sorrow of not having sisterhood and community. We need it. Mm -hmm. And we need it now more than ever. And um, this is the time where no matter what has happened, we give ourselves the space to heal it and honor it and look at it and give ourselves permission to regain our trust slowly by looking at people's actions. You know, trust is earned and finding people that you can trust little by little and treasuring them with all your heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, that's something that that's a big core element of the, the teachings that I do is the sisterhood. Uh, if you hear anyone that's come to any of my experiences or my, my work, they will often speak more about the work and the sisterhood than they do about, you know, something that I particularly did. And that's the testimony to that community because a lot of them come with those wounds of being hurt, the mother wound or being hurt by the sister wound and not having that trust. And it, it happens. And so repairing that again is like having this little microcosm where you have this healthy little world of sisterhood and where even if conflict comes up, it can come up with love and respect and that that slowly helps you feel supported and remember that there is community that's, that's waiting for you. That's what that Diosa community is for me. Mm. And the second piece of that, uh, what you were saying about my, my family and my connection to that, it definitely helped me be more spiritual. I was raised Catholic. Um, you know, I went to Catholic school my whole life, uh, uh, even Jesuit college, because I went to Fordham University for my undergrad. And uh, the Jesuits are like the academics of the spiritual world. They are obsessed with literature, philosophy, and uh, their approach to religion is very different. And so I was really grateful to have access to those kind of brains at Fordham because it was a different take on Catholicism that I had seen. But it was still a knowing inside of me since the time I was young that I didn't vibe with the fact that if someone was born in a different place, a different time, that if they didn't believe exactly what I believed in, that they were somehow wrong or sinful. I didn't 
relate to that. And I would get in trouble in school for standing up for that all the time. Uh, you know, at the time they still put you, you know, time out, like in the corner, uh, staring at the wall. As a college student? <laughs> wow. No, in, in, my, uh, uh, in my grade school. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And I would like, it was around fifth, you know, fourth, fifth grade. And I remember like yelling and getting mad and being like, hey, like, I don't believe in that. How can you say that? That's wrong. <laughs> I don't believe in that kind of God. Like I went in, I was very, very, very passionate about this topic. And um, I was also upset that there wasn't uh, a, enough representation of the divine feminine. Mm. And I remember going on strike in my bedroom um, and I, would, I wouldn't do the Our Father anymore. I only did Hail Marys. And I was like, I'm only going to do the Hail Mary and give some love to the divine feminine. But my mom, you know, my mom and my grandmother, they, they allowed me to be that way. You know, I, for a long time, I only had dreams when I was younger of, of like people's hands and the hands would tell me things about the people. And I would tell my mom my dreams. So it'd be like, oh, that this person's hands remind me of a son or this person's hands remind me of this bird, this animal. And then I would tell my mom my dreams. <laughs> Maybe she didn't always understand it, or but she always gave me that space to, to validate that. That was something that really helped, you know, me accept that weird at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Spiritual part of me. And I had psychic dreams. I would have dreams of things that would happen. And uh, like a couple of days in the future, never like so far ahead, but just like recent kind of things that were going to come. And uh, I would share them with my mom and my grandmother would also tell me to share any bad dreams that I had and we would explore them together and uh, on my father's side and then on my maternal uh, grandmother's side, she's passed now, grandmother Luisa, Maria Luisa. And she wore all white for me before I was born. And I only found that out a couple of years ago. And she wore like a little baby blue tassel. And apparently it was this promesa, this promise to God for me, this blessing. Mm. Oh. And so they were they were very spiritual. What a beautiful way to be ushered through the domains into this world. Yeah, I couldn't believe it when my mom told me. I was like, what? Like, why didn't I know this sooner? She was like, I know. And she was like, and I asked her, and she was like, it was just a promise for, for God, because I was the first grandchild. That's astoundingly profound. <laughs> that touches me deeply. So grateful that she did that, like that she took the time to do that. I mean, like, and so powerful what we, what we bless, you know, the, the next generations with. So now that you're living back in Puerto Rico, how does it feel to be connecting with the land of your ancestors? It's, it's, it's both complex and beautiful, you know, complex because I feel the sadness. I feel the pain. I feel the being a colony. I feel um, the injustice and our complex and very abusive relationship with the United States. Um, Cause technically we are part of the United States, but we're not able to vote for our president, although the president governs over us. So it's a very toxic kind of relationship. And that's one part of me that is also happy in a way that I get to wake that part up in me because there's something that happens when people leave 
a place to find quote unquote a better life right like it's very uh, although uh, because Puerto Rico is part of the United States they don't consider it like a typical immigrant experience but it is and so sometimes what happens is is that there's an idea that you know thank you oh my gosh thank you so much United States for saving me and this kind of like this mentality that happens in some of the older generations and for the generation that I'm part of and the kind of movers and shakers and healers and change makers here in Puerto Rico, it's a very different experience. And they're really reconnecting to like the, the true history of Puerto Rico, which was hidden, you know, that all the things that happened and the, all the testings that happened from pharmaceutical companies yeah. with uh, the women here, we were used as like the guinea pigs for uh, birth control and sterilized, you know, thousands upon thousands of women. And, you know, that, I mean, the stories are, uh, far uh, worse than just that. And so there was a part of it that was painful, right? Like reconnecting and plugging into that and saying, wow, but also what doesn't get healed unless you look at those painful parts first. And so I'm grateful to know that history. I'm grateful to keep learning. I want to continue to dive into that as I continue to live here because I'm a New Yorkan, right? I'm born and raised in New York. So I have a very different experience than maybe my husband from living here. And even then, right? Like we both still come from a privileged background because we had, uh, although I grew up like on the cusp of the hood and the private school life, I had both. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and my husband grew up here. So he's, you know, born and raised in Puerto Rico and he has more information and knowledge about like the injustices here because he lived here and did research on it. But still, we still come from that like privileged place compared to most. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big piece in waking that up, <laughs> waking up and seeing all that. Um, but then also simultaneously getting access to this cultural, cultural element that's very different than the New York uh, Boricua, very different than the New Yorican experience and getting to taste that culture here and getting to connect with it has been deeply healing for me. And also connecting me deeper to my purpose, my my medicine, uh, my ancestry, and uh, I think like on a on an energetic level, just even being here is grounding. And we live in the mountains now. We bought a house in the mountains of Puerto Rico, and I grew up in the city, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a whole new world. And hearing the coquis in the background, which are like these little frogs that sound kind of like a bird that say coqui coqui, mm-hmm. you know, in the background of our house and having, you know, the plants and the flowers and, and just mother earth all around us is, it's really, it's really something. And it, it's, it's a stepping into a whole new part of me. So in your description, in your, your biography, you describe yourself as a Latina psychotherapist and healer. Mm -hmm. So how does that identity influence how you approach all that you do which you do a lot between your coaching and your books and your and your retreats and all that you do so how does that flavor how does it put a color to what you do yeah i think that we should bring all of ourselves to anything right and all of ourselves can mean who you are in your identity as a woman who you are in your identity as a non-binary spirit, who you are in your, in your sexuality, who you are in your thoughts and beliefs about the world and politics, et cetera. Like all these interesting 
facets of your personality make up who you be in this world, <laughs> who you be. And so we need to uh, remember that our culture is part of that. And so for me, what I saw was that there was a lot of uh, spirituality and personal development that was void of that. And that was missing that culture, that flavor, that soul. And I felt like I needed to do something about that. And I remember, you know, going into bookstores and only seeing books by white authors or very few, maybe there was like Don Miguel Ruiz, you know, one Latino older male, but there was very few and it was heartbreaking. I wanted to see different stories, different experiences, particularly in the personal development wellness market and owning that and claiming like this, this is a really big part of my medicine, right? And also I want that to be included in my work and I want to honor other people's cultures as well. And while, you know, most of my work has always been geared towards Latinx, you know, people of color, it's all people that come to me specifically with the, the feeling of healing deep trauma. So when white women come to me, it's because they can really resonate with the POC experience in the sense that they've gone through similar traumas. That's the, that's the kind of link right? Mm -hmm. Or they grew up in a neighborhood where they could really identify with that story. And so uh, that for me meant me including that in my bio, me making it more visible for people that maybe we're looking for something that we're we're looking for a Latinx uh, therapist and that maybe wouldn't be able to know otherwise, right? Because we're so mixed. We don't know what someone is always by just looking, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes you do, but sometimes you don't. And so I wanted to make that really obvious for people. And one of the things that I'm most proud of, and it took me a long time to own because I almost felt embarrassed about it because we're, you know, we're trained to think in many ways that if you say that, I am so proud that I am a Latina therapist or that I wrote this book as a Latina author, that I'm somehow uh, making that be more important than my work or that, you know, that I'm like, why does that matter? And I guess it matters to me because it's been so, the voices have been so marginalized in that way. And so being able to stand as a voice for the Latinx community and to stand as a reminder that you can do it too. And seeing those messages come in from people all around the world, women of color, especially obviously Latinx women, which is what I identify as a Latina woman, that they say, this is this is what I was looking for. Up until now, I didn't find a book that shared my story. And I see you in me. And I needed that. And so one of my dear friends, Robin Moreno, she always says, you know, you can't be what you can't see. We, representation matters. Mm. And so that's, that's, that's that key for me. It's like, I am so grateful to stand as that. And I hope to continue to help other Black, Indigenous people of color to also be able to bring their voices more because now I have more access, right? So with it, more access brings more responsibility. How can I give back? How can I help others to do the same? That's always my goal with anything that I do. I'd love to hear you speak also combined with this. What comes through in your book is so much heartfelt passion for women to become liberated, sovereign, self-loving beings. 
I mean, it's so strong in your book. It's like when you hold, when you read that book, it's vibrating. It was vibrating into me and breaking up any mm-hmm. kind of, you know, old stagnant ideas I had, and and I felt like a, like I was being seeded and fertile again with ways I could open up. It was really powerful, mm-hmm. and your your love of women and how you help them is amazing. Thank you for reflecting that back to me. I really do it. And I, and I guess it, because I know how much it works, right? Like how, how much I've healed, like this community is not just one way. This is a relationship. You know, my community, we have a relationship. It's, it's a loving, kind, fierce, raw, real community of people that they, they look out for me too. They send love to me too. They're, he- they're all healers too, you know? Um, so it's really beautiful to kind of see the medicine go both ways. Mm. So as we come to a close here, why don't you tell people how they can access you and what you yes. have coming up? Yeah, so you can find out all about me on my website, christineg.tv. And if you want to buy this book, I am Diosa, a journey to healing deep, loving yourself and coming back home to soul. You can go to www.iamdiosabook.com and you get these beautiful bonus gifts that I created for you. And um, on Instagram, I'm really active. I love it. It's my way to share and communicate the most. So definitely uh, play and follow me there at Cosmic Christine. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Christine, for taking the time to share your being with us today. I'm thrilled to be able to be in uh, communion and in loving space with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love your voice, the way you interviewed me, and I feel so grateful to be here. Blessings to everyone. Thanks for listening to the Earth Love Spirit Podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.